Welcome to Machine Learning. Why does China want in on a global in on the global financial markets? China wants to be a global financial power. That means it needs to be able to compete on the international stage. To be to be a major global player, China needs to be able to issue bonds and shares in its own currency rather than just the US dollar. That would give Chinese firms an edge over foreign competitors at home and abroad. China's financial markets uh, lagging. China's financial markets are immature. meaning that they, uh, let me qualify what that means. Uh, it has no truly independent credit rating agencies, the backbone of financial systems. It's an early starter in the bond markets, and the bond markets are very limited. China has no real-time gross settlement system. This means transactions have to be settled via banks, which increases costs. Uh, China's interest rate mechanism is distorted, making it less able to cope with changes in the money supply and economic growth. That's due to the fact that the yuan is pegged to the dollar, and they, the government um, only allows the yuan to increase at a certain rate. China's stock market, the world's second uh, largest economy after the United States well, is not really open to foreigners to buy shares. They can they can buy shares on the Shanghai Stock Exchange, but not on the Shenzhen uh, Stock Exchange. And foreigners cannot buy <coughs> shares on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange without a local broker. China's bond market is teeny compared with its economy. It's only about the size of New Zealand's. Despite China's international ambitions, its currency, um, the yuan, is not traded on the global currency markets. Well, that could change if, they, if the yuan becomes a part of the special draft rights and central banks have been starting to buy more yuan in their reserves. China's target audiences. China wants to sell its bonds and shares to Chinese investors and to international investors who want to diversify their holdings into a stable and growing economy. What that means is, uh, the way I interpret that, is that there are a lot of wealthy investors now and the Chinese government wants to take IOUs to gain more money to invest abroad with the goal of providing what they call stabilized risk management. And um, so it's almost as if they are selling a mutual fund. So China's is uh, diversifying 
and then it's looking for to manage its funds by risk management, and it wants to um, borrow money from the Chinese investors or from uh, Chinese capitalists who have acquired great wealth. And there, and at one time we were talking about how many millionaires are in China, two million compared to 20 million in the U.S. The U.S. is still very, very wealthy compared to China. However, there is a lot of money in China now because we've moved a lot of our manufacturing base to China and they have saved a lot of money and the people have built the Chinese economy in, in China, a tribute to their willing to, willingness to sacrifice, whether it's will, willfully or forced. China also wants to expand its use of its currency in international transactions, such as with trade and investment. Yeah, China is doing more uh, trade and investment in the yuan now, and uh, it still has 40x to catch up with the dollar, but it is starting to make a difference. China is increasing the amount of international transactions that are done in the yuan. China also hopes to become a key player in global interest rate markets where countries and companies borrow money and pay interest rates on it. Yeah, we've seen that, that Ch uh, China's buying up commercial paper. And uh, and what that means, the way I interpret that is when companies borrow money, they borrow it through commercial paper. So uh, they are, are becoming a key player in the financial markets. That would give China more control over its own interest rates and over global interest rates, which I find that an interesting statement, that they want uh, control over global interest rates. Well, isn't that kind of what the Fed has done, is that they've had control, the Fed controls the, the interest rates by either selling bonds or buying bonds back and making and using those bonds as collateral for the banks to either loan against or, uh, uh, yeah, as assets. China's been preparing itself for international debut for years. China set up the Shanghai Free Trade Zone in 2013 as a test ground for financial liberalization. The rules are more relaxed than the rest of the country. China's also built its foreign exchange reserves. So it has about a one, one to two trillion. It's going to be close, I think, to to two trillion in, in, in foreign exchange reserves in the U.S. And it probably has about equal that in Europe. It's been in investing in other countries, especially emerging market economies like Brazil and, and Russia, mainly those two countries for oil reserves, and in, especially in Africa. Uh, where they are helping to build uh, infrastructure, and in return, they're they're buying um, the oil and the resources in Africa. Okay, there's a book called Crash Proof. There's uh, the author says the U.S. financial markets are fighting a battle against trade and financial imbalances, and are caused by dislocations too fundamental to reverse. The slippery slope is a collapse in the dollar-denominated assets and the standard of living. Okay, what I 
what I'm um, hearing on this, what the author is saying is that there are financial imbalances and it's not going to correct. And so that um, the dollar denominated assets and standards of living are going to drop. Basically, he's announcing that there's going to be inflation, and I'll, and I'll ex explain that in just a moment. The U.S. trade deficit in 2005 stood at $1 trillion. Now we're about almost 30 times that amount. The U.S. society has shifted away from savings, shifted from manufacturing to services, reached maximum levels of personal and national debt, borrowed money to finance excessive consumption of unproductive import goods. Okay, translate. Uh, what that's saying is we lost our our manufacturing base, so our source of wealth. When you move to services, it's a lower margin of profit, so we earn less, um, and there's more automation that can replace a lot of the service, so there's less jobs that we can compete for. And we're buying lots of consumer products on debt, and we're maxed out on that debt levels. And uh, the items that we are consuming are unproductive. They don't produce any money for us. Our impressions, our impressive gross domestic production growth, which is 2%, dominated as it by consumption is not a measure of how much wealth we have created, but how much we have destroyed. The result is a trade deficit of about $800 billion annually, a budget deficit running three to $400 billion, and a national debt of about, at the time he wrote the book, was $8.5 but today it's closer to $30 trillion. Unfunded liabilities such as Social Security could run the national debt to $50 trillion. I believe that we are in a fast, that we are fast approaching to a perfect storm scenario with monetary collapse that's most likely way to play it out. Well, if you call inflation a monetary collapse, then it is playing out that uh, the government and the banks are going to get their money, and uh, they do that through increasing the money supply or bailouts in the case of the TARP. Because Americans are not saving and producing but are borrowing and consuming, we have become precariously dependent on foreign suppliers and lenders. America's unprecedented consumption and borrowing binge has been put record amounts of liabilities in foreigners' hands. No fear if the dollar buying power remains strong. And sometimes it's confusing because when you look at the dollar, it's a commodity and they compare the strength of the dollar, the dollar index, um, as to what currencies are being sold and bought. And so the supply and demand of the dollar, or dollar-denominated cur uh, currencies, which could be bonds and commercial paper, etc., look strong based on the demand 
uh, and the supply. However, if you look at purchase power parity or your purchasing power uh, due to inflation, it's less. So we're, we're, it's costing more for us to buy things. Foreign central banks use accumulated dollars to buy our treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, helping finance our growth deficit and keeping the housing market propped up. Is the U.S. economy too big to fall? If foreigners stop buying treasuries, our choice would be to further tax or default like Russia. I don't think the U.S. will default on its debt, but it, what it will do is that this uh, mortgage bond will, will decrease. There's already been some uh, recession pullback in the non-residential construction. I was reading an article yesterday and it was quoting a, a, a few, well, I think a 1% pullback. And at the same time, it's, it was saying that it really didn't think that there was uh, a slowdown, but they were having sh uh, labor shortage issues and, and logistic uh, supply problems and material cost adjustments and so it was reducing uh, some of their profit margins, but they, the backlogs seemed like they were pretty strong, so they weren't worried. Due to insufficient domestic saving and proliferated government spending, an increased percentage of U.S. Treasury debt is held abroad. Okay, we know that that's true. It's held by Russia, China, Japan, India, okay? Europe, the dollar is going, and, and if you ranked them in, in terms of how much, it would be China number one, Japan number two, uh, Russia maybe four, and I'm going to say UK three, and then India. The dollar is going to collapse, and Americans are going to experience stagnation on an unprecedented scale in the form of recession and hyperinflation. Hyperinflation will result from foreign countries exchanging dollars into their local currencies, making the local currency stronger and the dollar weaker. Um, recession results as more employment shift from manufacturing sector to the service sector. Taxes will move more jobs overseas to be outsourced using cheap labor. The U.S. dollar status as the world's reserve currency has shielded the U.S. from the consequences of persistent and growing trade imbalances. Okay, so what he's saying there is that if China sells goods to America, it takes the money owed and it buys treasuries the trade deficits and it takes the trade deficits are used now in the form of IOUs from the government. The Bretton Wood Accords made the U.S. dollar the currency used by other governments and institutions to settle their foreign exchange accounts and to transact trade in certain vital commodities such as gold and oil. The dollar was originally accepted by the world as a reserve currency and was due to the Americans' unqualified, 
unequaled industry might. Its status as both the world's lending exporter of manufactured goods and its greatest creditor, and its currency backed in gold. If the gold lost its status, dollar lost its status as a world reserve currency, surplus dollars will come home, causing hyperinflation, a super tax, a day reminiscent of the greenbacks of the continentals. Uh, we don't want that because the Continentals devaluated 95%, and uh, it wasn't they weren't they weren't worth much. The erosion of the manufacturing base is the fault of aggressive labor unions, increased government regulation, aging plants and equipment, too much waste, smugness about delivering quality for profits has put U.S. manufacturing at a disadvantage. Well, we saw some rebound in improvement in, U in American manufacturing under Trump, with, and there were manufacturers that were coming home back to America, and uh, technology and automation were making it cost-effective for these manufacturers to build products in America. America, uh, American manufacturers were driven out of business by more efficient foreign manufacturers, Again, as I stated, we reversed that efficiency gap. Uh, but at the same time, at this time, when he was writing, he said that foreign manufacturers resulted in huge trade deficits as we imported items no longer produced domestically. So now we're paying a foreign uh, country for these import goods. Workers were forced to accept lower paid jobs in the service sector now these jobs are being sent to third world countries like India. Eventually, 70% of the service sectors will be outsourced to India and China. Yeah, I see in some of that. I think some of the call centers are starting to return back. And uh, AI and machine learning is definitely going to, catch, to begin to start capturing more of the service sector. Uh, it's already pretty good at answer, question and answer. Technology as a GDP savior won't happen. We are simply not exporting enough information technology to pay for the real goods that we import. That's the problem. So yes, we are high tech, we, we are information workers, but we don't export enough of our information technology in terms of capital earnings to make a difference on the difference in the amounts of items that we're importing. The world no more depends on the U.S. consumption than medieval serfs depended on the consumption of their lords, who took, typically took 25% of what they produced. Will China's internal consumption fill its economy independent of the U.S. consumption? Quite to the contrary, China's own capacity to consume is much greater than ours, and the productivity capacity needs to serve it. It's already in place in China. So what he's saying is that China will produce their own goods, but there are a lot of U.S. companies now that are exporting goods to China, so that could change if the Chinese uh, consumer begins to like American-made goods. 
He says, Chinese citizens now produce export goods from which they themselves derive no direct direct economic benefit. In effect, consumer goods are rationed in China so as to make them plentiful in the United States. Asia is overburdened with the U.S. IOUs. Like the serfs being liberated from their lords, their scarce resources will be freed to satisfy their own needs and desires, and their standards of living will rise accordingly. The Chinese now sacrifice to support the purchasing power of the Americans. If China allowed the dollar to decline against the yuan, American purchasing power would, by definition, be transferred to the Chinese. Factories would retool and labor would seek more productive employment. Instead of wasting scarce resources producing goods to export, China would instead would produce goods for domestic consumption. Foreign markets are the most conservative place for your money right now. Wall Street holds conservative domestic investment to be conservative, but regards foreign investing too speculative. Yeah, I think it is very speculative at this point. You'd have to be very careful, especially uh, markets that are driven by hot money. If uh, there's any fear, it can cause uh, hot money to fly out. And even though you could have strong fundamentals for growth and uh, management, if that hot money pulls out, it's the it's the same as a collapse. He says the author says my goal is to avoid substantial risk I see in the U.S. market by seeking safe havens abroad. Invest in foreign currencies that are expected to rise significantly as the dollar falls. Well, there are going to be there are going to be some areas of the world that will flourish. One might be Canada. Uh, Canada trusts might be areas to invest money. Uh, energy uh, co- countries, uh, companies in different uh, energy sectors like electricity and oil. I do not like uh, renewables, but but perhaps. Uh, defense spending and uh, telecom might be areas or pockets where countries continue to flourish and and, uh, do well. Now, I will say that I really like dividends, so I won't, right now, I won't invest in anything that doesn't have a dividend. Current U.S. tax laws favor dividends over interest income and apply to most foreign stock. I have made a specialty of conservative stocks that can be bought at an undervalued price and provide generous, dependable dividend yield. See, that's really a smart idea. Safe, growth, and income. That's your three that you want to look when you're investing locally or foreignly. Uh, Current dividend income must justify the purchase. 10 to 20 stocks provide an adequate diversity. Electric, oil, gas utilities are attractive equity investment because they have a captive audience and enjoy constant high demand. Their earnings are predictable because they can raise rates and they can consistently pay high dividends. Utilities are sometimes bond substitutes. Many Canadian oil and gas companies pay dividends of 12 to 15%. Coal uh, pay dividends 
averaging something like 11%. Companies mining nickel, zinc, and lead pay 7 to 10%. Okay, so those those are definitely uh, uh, areas that I, I uh, to look at, and that's those areas that I'm looking at domestically are those those uh, in those sectors, energy sectors, especially with energy prices being as high as they are, and the move towards uh, carbon free is putting a lot of strain on utility companies, and they're uh, increasing their rates and profits. And I think coal. I don't think coal's dead yet because uh, using coal to to oil uh, conversions or uh, coal to for electricity production, I still think is still a strong sector uh, to consider. Okay, if we are a closed system and we were printing money that way, we are not producing and spending it all here. Consumer prices would already be off the charts. But our trading partners, by accumulating dollars, haven't stopped inflation. They've only delayed its effects. So, yeah. So, right now, uh, we, we see uh, a slower incline in, in inflation, but it's still there. Or acceleration in inflation. One day, the flow will reverse with the Chinese and others using their dollars to buy consumer goods as well as properties in the U.S. In effect, the Chinese will merely repossess all those goods that they sold on credit. Actually, in the case of China, the one dollar peg has artificially kept U.S. imports low, temporarily suppressing U.S. consumer prices. The Chinese currency will Currency will rise, reflecting higher raw material costs and higher labor costs. When new money or credit is added to the economy, thus diluting the existing supply, the general level of prices, aggregate prices, will rise. Assuming the amount of goods and services within the system stay the same, this dilution causes the banks to raise rates to cover devaluation. Yeah, we're already starting to see banks uh, raise rates. But at what rate? I think it's going to be consistent through the next few years. More dollars are required to buy a given quantity of goods. We already see that. The dollar value is diminishing. Inflation is a monetary expansion. More money chasing and diminishing supply of goods and services. Anything that artificially increases aggregate demand for goods and service is inflationary. The demand is uh, artificial because it does not result from decreased productivity but from inflation. Inflation is paying today's debts with cheaper money in the future. The result is prices rise in a true economy, prices fall, increases as increases in productivity output raise the supply of goods relative to the supply of money. All right. Well, that was a lot. Um, and what, the way I interpret that last statement, what he's what he's saying is, the only way we're going to get out of this mess is to learn to save, uh, return, and through saving, then we can restore our manufacturing base. We can produce locally, and that will then help us accumulate wealth and uh, we get out of our debt risk 
and we become rich again.